Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome everybody, it's a privilege to be here tonight and to share the word of God with you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Vian, I'm the pastor here and it's a privilege for me to share this word with you tonight. But before I begin, let me just open for us in prayer. Yes Lord, thank you for your goodness, thank you for your faithfulness, thank you for your kindness Lord. We pray Lord that as tonight Father we look at your word, that as we share information with one another Lord, you would come and bring revelation Lord. For us, Father, many times the things, Lord, that we hear of you, Lord, and we read about you, Father, we have so many of that knowledge, Lord, that still needs to turn into revelation, Father. So many things that we believe with our minds, Lord, but it hasn't sunk into our hearts yet, Lord. And we pray, Lord, tonight that you come and do, Lord, what only you can come and do, Father, to reveal deep spiritual things to us, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you reveal spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one that saves, that renews, that sanctifies. And that we can come and declare tonight, Lord, doesn't matter what we do, Lord, unless you come, Father, and work, all is in vain. And thank you, Lord, that with that being said, Lord, we also know, Lord, that we do not need to come and convince you, Lord, to save, to sanctify, to heal, to build your church, Lord. That is what you are actively busy doing. Loving, Father, giving life. We thank you for that, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for the honor, Lord, the privilege to know you, Father, to draw near to you, Lord, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your life. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are busy with a sermon series called Teach Us to Number Our Days, and we are looking at Psalm 90, and today we're going to look at part two. As we look at Psalm 90, together. And for those of you who weren't here last week, just to quickly recap for us what we were busy with. This is a very interesting psalm, a very beautiful psalm, a very special psalm, in that it's also the first psalm that was ever written, Psalm 90. It's a psalm by Moses as he prays to God, and he's asking God to teach us to number our days. And one of the beautiful things that we saw is that he doesn't necessarily ask God to come and give us wisdom or give us a biblical way to plan or a good way to steward certain things, although all of those things are important. But what Moses focuses on is God himself, saying that if we understand, if we have a revelation of who God is, then we will live in such a way that we actually number our days well. When we understand who God is, we live different, we live better. We live meaningful lives, the way we should live. And like we said, the way we live our lives now will also reveal something about how we view God to ourselves. Each one of us live our lives according to the revelation of God that we have. Like we said, as A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about us is what comes to mind when we think about God, because it will shape our whole lives. Every single person, like we said, even the atheist, the atheist concept of God is that there is no God, nobody to hold them accountable, and they live their lives accordingly. But we will live our lives according to the revelation of God that we have. And Moses is saying, Lord, reveal yourself to us, teach us to number our days. 
To not give us wisdom so that we number our days, but Lord, you come teach, you come guide, you come and show. And like we said, you know, many of us might have read Psalm 90 before and we might have sing Psalm 90, the song. And we understand the concept to make good use of the time. We understand the concept to make good use of the time for the days are evil. But when we understand the context of the psalm, it gives a little bit more urgency to what Moses is praying. And the context of the psalm is Moses with the Israelites in the desert just before they enter the promised land. And because of their unfaithfulness and disobedience, they are not allowed to enter. And for 40 years, Moses is looking as an entire generation dies, unable to move a meter forward because of their disobedience. And Moses is seeing life lost, time wasted, people who did not count the days. People who did not number their days well. Entire generation whose whole life on earth will mean literally nothing. And Moses is aware of the fact that we can live in such a way that our lives will mean nothing. Praise Lord. May the generations that come not be like this one, but teach us to number our days. And we see that Moses focuses on four attributes of God that he specifically looks at in the psalm. The eternality of God, the fact that God is eternal, and we looked at that last week. God's sovereignty that we will look at today. But then also God's severity, God's wrath, God's anger towards sin. But then also luckily God's grace and mercy towards us. And last week we look at the eternal part as verse 1 so beautifully says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were brought brought forth, before the earth was formed from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And beautiful Moses, as they are in the desert saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. In other words, Lord, you are the only eternal one. You are the only one that makes sense to live for, to be with. Our whole lives revolve around you, Lord. Whether we are in Egypt, whether we are in the desert, whether we are in the promised land, you have been our dwelling place. Our refuge, the one we long for, the one we want to be with. And only if we live in that way does our lives actually mean something. Like we saw, God is eternal and we are not. We will die one day. And the life we live here on earth will determine all of eternity. Where we spend it, how we spend it, we don't have time to waste. And like we said, sometimes we live as if we actually have time to waste. We live as if we're never going to die. And when we do that is when we waste time. Every time we spend time on nonsense, useless things, temporal things, we live as if we're never going to die. And like I said, many times we live with this passivity that says, yes, I, I still want to follow God and I still want to do this for God and I still want to do that, but I'll get to it this year. And scripture asks the question, who told you you have a year? Who told you that? Who told you that next year you can do that and the year after that you can do that? We don't even know if we have tomorrow to make good use of the time. Like Jergens also shared that word. Do not be lukewarm. Either cold or hot, follow God actively. We do not know when we are going to die. But obviously that word was specifically for someone that speaks Afrikaans. So if you're English, don't worry, it was not for you. You're still hot for God. But we need to make good use of the time and we need to live for God. And like we said, the end of the story is in Exodus 12 to have that same heart that Moses had. 
to say, Lord, Lord, if you send us to the promised land, but you are not going with us, then do not send us. We will rather stay in the desert while you are present than be in a land overflowing with milk and honey while you are not there. We do not want to live for temporal things. Our whole lives will revolve around God. Like we said, you know, we many times have that person, and I know everybody has at least one such person in their lives. Their whole lives revolve around their house on earth. But all of their time, all of their finances, all of their energy they spend on that home. The roof must be the right color, the furniture in the right place, the grass everywhere must grow as it should, the rocks must be in the right place. And obviously we need to be good stewards of what God has given us. I'm not saying neglect the things God gives. But we all know that person a little bit too obsessed with where they live. And scripture says that is how we should view our relationship with God. That is how we should view eternity with God. To be that invested. That diligent. All of our time. All of our effort. To make sure that when it comes to my relationship with God, everything is in place. It's there where I want to invest. I want to be with God. Because all of these things will fade away. And the question that we started off last week with was, where are you going? What are you doing? What are you busy with? How are you going to achieve what you want to achieve? Do you know what you want to achieve? Some of us could maybe answer the question, some of us not. But today as we focus on the sovereignty of God, I want to ask the same question but with a different focus. And one that's a lot more important. And that is, where does God want you to go? Not where do you want to go, we might be able to answer that one, but where does God want you to go? What does God want you to do? What does God want you to be busy with? Can we answer that question? Because it's an important one. Are we constantly busy planning our lives or are we constantly seeking God, the one who already planned it beforehand? Quickly answer that question. Do some introspection. Are you constantly seeking God for His guidance and His leading in your life? Or are you constantly planning it yourself? What are we busy with? Do we know what God expects of us? Do we know why we are here? Do we know what we are supposed to do? Do all of us have the answer? Okay, who wants to come and share first? I'm just making a joke. I'm not going to ask all of us to come and share. Only the new people. Now again, just making a joke. But a question that we need to answer. Lord, teach us to number our days. In other words, Lord, come and show us what you've already planned for us. And again, it comes down to understanding who God is. Whether we are actively seeking God to come and lead us in life or whether we are actively planning it ourselves the whole time will depend on how we view God. If we have the right revelation of God, we will naturally, instinctively and consistently go and sit before God and ask Him to come and lead. There will be no way when we actually understand who God is, actually understanding that He is sovereign, in control, has a plan and not go to Him and ask Him what it is. And some of us, like I say, may have the information, we've heard it said about God, but we haven't experienced it practically. We haven't had the revelation. We don't truly believe. We've only heard. So let's read through the psalm and see what we can learn about God's sovereignty and how that's going to impact our lives. 
Psalm 90 from verse 1 to 17. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades away and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your works be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Like we said, Moses there at the end asking God, Lord, establish the work of our hands. In other words, Lord, may what we do in this life actually mean something in light of eternity. May it not be wasted. May it not be futile. May it not be for no reason. Life is already hard. To get up in the morning, to do what we have to do and to labor, to work for certain things. May it at least mean something in light of eternity. And hopefully after last week, we have that same desire to ask God, Lord, establish the work of our hands. May our lives mean something for all of eternity. And for that to happen, verse 12 needs to take place, like we said last week. The crux of the psalm, the action point of the psalm. So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. And like we said, if it's the only thing that you take from this whole sermon series, may it be this. If there's one application point, may it be this. To go and sit before God and ask him, Lord, come and show, come and guide, come and lead, come and teach me to number my days. And for those of us who were here last week, I have to ask the question, did this happen the week that just passed? For those who were here last week, have we applied this truth? Did we actually then go and sit before God and say, Lord, come and teach me to number my days? Or was it again just something that we heard and failed to apply? I have to ask us. Did we set time apart to go and sit before God? Say, Lord, teach me to number my days. And again, it comes down to the revelation of God that we have. If we understand who God is, then this will come naturally. Specifically, the sovereignty of God that we're going to focus on today. And when we focus on the sovereignty of God, we can obviously get very philosophical and we can get very theological about the sovereignty of God and how it impacts life and how is God sovereign and we are still responsible. But tonight I want to be a bit more devotional 
and focus on one devotional aspect that should motivate us in life when we look at God's sovereignty and then one practical aspect that should bring great relief to us in life. And we see the crux of it here in verse three. And it's Moses praying to God and says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. In other words, God is the one that determines how long we live. God is the one that says return to dust. In Job 14 verse 5 we read that God has numbered our months on earth and he has fixed the line which we shall not pass. We will not live a minute longer than God intends for us to live. And again many times we look at those around us, maybe people that have died around us and we ask God why. And we get frustrated and we get angry. And the reason for that is because we forget who we are and we forget who God is. He's God. He's the one that gave life. He's the one that can take life. Like Donnie also shared so beautifully, he's the master potter. He does as he pleases. Forms us for the reasons that he intended to use us for. But we will not live a minute longer than God intended for us to live. And again, it might not be the most uplifting part of God's sovereignty. It might not make us the most excited But to focus on it, we have to understand that when it comes to God determining when we will die, it's also God who determined when we will begin to live and everything in between. God's sovereignty is not just over death, but also over life. He's the one that gave life. He's the one that made us, that formed us. And the thing that we should realize is to allow this just to sink in for a moment. And again, we might have heard it said, but do we truly believe, do we truly understand this reality? That there is a holy, almighty, all-knowing, loving God that actually sat down and thought of you purposefully as he made you with what he made you for in mind. Can you imagine that? You're not here by accident. You're not a product of chance. A holy, almighty, loving God actually sat down intently thinking about you as he formed you with the purpose he made you in mind. Every part of your being, every part of your character, every ability that you have, the skill set that you have, every talent that you have, purposely thought out by God as he made you. And again, it's something that we know, but do we truly realize that? Because that means before that we even begin to do something, our lives already have value. Because God is the one that made us. And it should motivate us to number of days well with that reality in mind that I was formed by God he thought of me it's not just taking a bowl of clay throwing it against the wall and God said oh look how this one came out it's also not that little cookie drinkers that our kids play with when they play with the clay you know having one shape made three stars all of them look exactly the same no each one of us uniquely purposefully designed it lets me think about a debate between John Lennox and an atheist a while back. I can't remember if it was Atkins or Dawkins. But John Lennox and this atheist discussing the meaning of life. What gives meaning to life? Challenging the atheist, you know, why do you actually try to attach meaning to life? If you say that we are just here by chance and we are going to die and go nowhere, why do you try to live life as if it's meaningful? And I remember him asking, you know, what do you tell your kids? 
What do you tell your grandkids when they ask why they are here? And the atheist said, I must admit that I tell them that life has no meaning. And he tells them, you are a product of chance and you will die one day and life will mean nothing. That gets us a little bit excited about what we're going through. All of the trials and tribulations around us, hey, don't worry, it means nothing in any case. And John Lennox said, no, he can take his kids and he can take his grandkids and tell them, my boy, my girl, I want you to know something. That the holy, almighty God who created everything purposefully, intentionally thought of you as you were being made with your plan that he has for you in mind. You are intrinsically worthy. You carry value because God has made you. There's a difference between those two things. Not a product of chance. And that should motivate us greatly. That should give motivation to number our days while with that thought in mind. That's the devotional aspect. But now to get to the practical one. The one that brings great relief. And again, it's dependent upon whether we have heard this or truly believe this. And we read it here in Psalm 139, from verse 13 to 16. Speaking about the same two truths. Sovereignty of God as he made us and planned our days ahead. It was for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intrinsically woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your books were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Beautifully explains the devotional aspect and the practical aspect. And here's something that we need to understand to get back to the question again. Do we constantly sit and try to figure out life on our own? To plan life on our own? To number our days on our own? Or do we truly believe that there is a holy God that has already written down every one of our days before there was any of them? Imagine that. If I truly believe that God formed me for a purpose, on purpose, and that he knows what that purpose is, why on earth would I try to figure it out myself? Why on earth? Some of us are so tired, so exhausted, so anxious because we constantly need to make everything happen ourselves. While God says, he's already planned it. You don't need to figure it out on your own. You see, last year as we were planning the church calendar, the end of December, as I was wiping off the church calendar for last year, staring at this blank calendar before me, it wasn't a fearful thing that set in. It wasn't a you know, pressing feeling of man shucks. We've, we've got to make it happen again. We've got to figure it out again. We've got to plan a new year again. No, but there was an excitement stirring in me thinking, what can God do with a blank calendar? New year, imagine that. The one who already planned out everything, the one that's building his church, the loving father that already has a plan. Man, can't wait to see what God's going to do. There's a difference. And some of us are anxious, worn out, tired, because we are holding the pen. We think we should make it happen. We should put the plan out. Well, God said, no, it's already figured out. Give the pen back to me. And one thing that we should also note here tonight, we look a little bit more at that next week when we focus on the wrath of God. 
that in light of a holy, sovereign, almighty God, it is really not okay to not do what He's planned for you to do. It's really not okay. It's really not okay to disobey God. It's really not okay to not live our lives in line with His will for our lives. It's not okay. And we see that in the psalm, as a generation needs to die before they can enter because of their disobedience and unfaithfulness. It is not okay. It is not okay to say, Lord, I know that you are holy, sovereign, almighty, and loving, and I know that you gave your son so that I can know you and walk in your ways for me, but I'm going to choose to still do what I want to do. It is not okay. Now, see, it's Persian writer says, whenever scripture speaks about God's anger towards sin, it never uses a hyperbole. We cannot exaggerate God's anger towards sin. It never over-exaggerates it. It's really not okay. But luckily for us, whenever Scripture speaks about God's grace, it also never uses a hyperbole. Because we can also never exaggerate that. And luckily for us, we are not where the Israelites were. They needed to die before a generation can go in. Luckily for us, the price has been paid. And thanks to Jesus Christ, we can repent believe and move forward again as long as we have breath. Amen? But we look a little bit more at that next week. And one thing that we should also note here tonight, like I said, this depends upon the revelation of God that we have. If we do not constantly seek God's guidance, we either do not believe that He is sovereign, we do not believe that He is all-knowing, or we do not believe that He is loving. Because if you believe that God is sovereign in control of everything, that God is all-knowing, He knows everything, and that God is loving, He really intends good for us, why would we not seek Him for Him to show us what He's planned for us? And for some of us, another reason why we may never intentionally seek the will of God is because we are never truly saved. We've never truly surrendered to Christ. We've never died to self, repented of our sin, and placed our faith in God. What does Jesus say? What do we do when we want to follow him? How does that work? He doesn't say, invite me into your heart. He doesn't say, raise your hand or pray a prayer. He says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Lay down your life. Set your plan aside. Take up your cross. Die to self. Follow me. Say, Lord, I see what you've done for me. I see that you lay down your life for me, and I will lay down my life for you. Not my will, but yours be done. As Daniel also said so beautifully, This is what I want to do, but I set that aside. Lord, what do you want me to do? You see, one of the marks of a Christian is someone that intentionally seeks and experiences the guidance of God. It's how we can know when we are truly saved or not, when we are experiencing the leading of God, and when we desire to be led by God. Some of us might have experienced this a while back or so, and we might have grown passive, grown cold, as Yerevan's also shared. Some of us might have never experienced this. Have you ever went and sat down before God and asked Him to show you what He intends for you to do in life with a willingness to obey? Because if you haven't, the chances are maybe that you have never surrendered to God. We read in Romans 8 verse 14 that those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are the children of God. Those who are being led by the Spirit, experiencing God's leading. And then verse 9 says, if we do not have the Spirit of God, we do not belong to Him. Do you have the Spirit of God? Are you experiencing His leading? Are you asking for His leading? 
I want to end all for us with a quote from Tozer and then a, three scriptures from Ephesians. Tozer writes concerning God's wisdom, God's sovereignty, speaking about Psalm 139, as this specific psalm focuses on the all-knowingness and the omniscience of God, meaning that He is everywhere and that He knows everything. And he says the following, Wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to guess or speculate. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all, and is thus able to work towards predestined goals with flawless precision. I'm going to read that for us again. This is the wisdom of God. If you understand that God has this wisdom, why would we not ask him to lead us? Wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to guess or speculate. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all, and is thus able to work towards predestined goals with flawless precision. That is the God we serve. And not only is God able, but God is also willing. And we need to understand both those parts. Some of us believe God is able. God is able to lead, he's able to guide. But we don't believe God is willing. We've disqualified ourselves. Because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because of our unfaithfulness, surely God will not lead me again. But thanks to Jesus Christ, we can still be led. We read in Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. It is not your own doing. Not as a result of work so that no no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thanks to Jesus Christ on the cross. There's forgiveness of sins. And by his grace, we can again do what God has planned for us to do. If we repent of sin and place our faith in him. And that faith is not our own works. God doesn't say, really show me. Work hard enough. Do your best. And if you do, then I'll show you. Then I'll lead you. No. By grace. Not as a result of works. For good works that God's already prepared before and that we should walk in them. The fruit of salvation. This is how we know that we are truly saved. If there is a longing inside of us to intentionally see God and to do what he's called us to do. When we realize that Jesus laid down his life for us, the only appropriate response, saying, Lord, I lay my doubt down my life as well. No longer my will, but yours be done. Let's stand and pray together tonight. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness, for your loving kindness, Lord. And I pray, Father, for each one of us, Lord, as we are standing before you tonight, Lord, that we would realize that you are willing and able. I pray, Lord, for each and every heart, Lord, that acknowledges the fact that you are willing. Seeing, Father, that you want to come and guide and lead, Lord. I pray for the grace, Lord, for us to surrender, Lord, and to give over wholeheartedly to you. What an excitement, Lord, 
to think what you can do with hearts that are surrendered to you, Lord. And when we think of our lives, Lord, and the years that lay ahead, and we think that we should determine what's going to happen, we should think out the plan, we should devise the plan, we should come up with the energy to make it happen. How exhausting. But the expectation, Lord, the feeling that comes up inside of us as we realize, but imagine what a holy, loving, almighty God can do with my life in His hands. I pray, Lord, for each and every person, Lord, that feels useless, Lord. That feels no matter where I go, I I contribute no value. I add nothing. And I don't know if I'm ever going to find a place where I actually do something meaningful. Thank you, Lord, that they can know tonight that before they do anything, their life's already meaningful because of the one who created them. Thank you, Lord, for every heart, Lord, that is confused, Lord. Wondering, not sure what to do, where to go. Thank you, Lord, that they can rest in the truth that there is a sovereign God that is already planned out each and every day. I come and pray, Lord, for every prideful heart, Lord. Every heart that thinks, no, but we can plan it better. We can do it better. We have it And we repent of that pride, Lord, and come and trust in you again. Thank you, Lord, for every heart that is hurting, Lord, that has experienced pain, Lord, suffering, trials, tribulations. And thank you, Lord, in light of your sovereignty, we can know, Lord, that there is no pain without purpose. There is no senseless suffering. There is no trial without a cause. But each and everything that we've gone through in life, there is a holy, sovereign God that can work it together for good for those who love Him. I thank You, Lord, for in the times of joy and prosperity, Lord, that we can acknowledge that even there, Lord, You are the one that gave joy. You are the one that made us prosper. It's not our own works, Lord. We did not accumulate prosperity, Lord, and we cannot do with it as we please. But it belongs to You. And whether we are experiencing pain or whether we are prospering, Lord, may we look to you and ask, come and teach us, Lord, to number our days. There where you stand tonight, if you've never experienced the leading of God, if you've never asked for the leading of God, just there where you stand. Repent of yourself. Turn to God. It's not a saying, Lord, okay, from this day I'm going to trust you, Lord, and from this day I'm going to acknowledge you, and from this day, Lord, I'm going to hear what you have to say. No, it's, Lord, I repent for never coming to you, Lord, for never trusting you, for never seeking your guidance. I repent of that, Lord. Now I place my faith in you. That is you tonight. Pray to God. I just start to speak. Don't just stand here tonight. Don't exit the same way you came in. And if you are here tonight and you might have experienced God's leading, but... You can't remember when last you actually just went and sat down and asked God to come and lead. Constantly busy with your own planning, your own things, tired, worn out. You need to return to God. Like Yerkens only said, be quick to repent, be quick to turn back. We do not know if we have tomorrow. If that is you, lift up your voice to God. And if you are here and you know exactly what it is that God plans for you to do, 
You know where he's leading. But you're unwilling to do that because your pride is getting in the way. It might be confession, might be restitution, might be repentance towards someone. But you're unwilling to do it because you think, how am I going to look? That is, you repent of that and be quick to obey. And if you're here tonight and you know what God intends for you to do and you are actively busy walking in it, say thank you to God because it's only by His grace. Not as a result of works. As Paul writes, with the grace of God, I am what I am. Thank you, Lord, for prayers going up, Lord. Thank you for hearts surrendering to you anew, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for some asking for the first time, Lord, what is it that you expect of me, Father? Where are you guiding? Where are you leading? Thank you for salvation, Lord. Thank you for revelation. And thank you, Lord, that we can walk out of here, Lord, with an immense excitement, Lord. Knowing that there's a holy God with a sovereign plan. And Lord, we cannot wait to see what you are going to do, Lord, through each and every life. And thank you, Lord, no matter how it looks, when it's in your hand, Lord, it has meaning. And it will stand, Lord, to eternity. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.